You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So in this community that's just north of where we are located here called Two Lakes, um, there have been Nazarenes who have been opening a food pantry there for like lots of years, maybe 15 years or more. And every Wednesday they, they give food away to people who are in need of food. And so about uh, maybe almost three years ago now, uh, we asked Thaddeus Black, uh, one of our pastors, to go there on Wednesdays and just kind of hang out. And, and so Thaddeus would, and when people come in, he would just kind of open his arms to them and he would pray for them. And, and I remember Thaddeus calling me uh, one day and saying, uh, Pastor, um, would it be okay if on Sunday morning we met here with a few of these people and we had a Bible study. And, and I remember thinking, well, no, Thaddeus, that's fine. I mean, we rent the building all week, and if you want to go in on Sunday and have a Bible study, that's, that's okay. And so just a handful of people came that very first Sunday. And what has happened over these three years is that has grown into a congregation that worships every Sunday of about 60 to 70 people, okay? Now, something kind of neat happened this past week at Mid-High Camp. Um, 13 mid-hires from that church, and I wanted to show you their picture, it's pretty awesome, went to church camp on the Oklahoma District, and that's them. Is that pretty great or what? And so just, uh, just look at my eyes for a minute, let me say this to you, that the people who live in that community face challenges that you don't face in the community that you live in. And had it not been for a group of you who opened up your wallets and said, I'll pay their way, and, and for a, a church just going in that community, those students would not have gotten to go to a summer camp this summer. And so I think it's awesome. I was meeting with this group of people, um, with a lady whose name is Judy Akins, who works with us. And um, it's some people who volunteer there with Thaddeus, okay? And I wanted to show you their picture because they're just... Heroes to me. Every Sunday they show up at Two Lakes and they just volunteer and they teach and they greet and they serve and they work and they help. And, uh, and they're all awesome. So Judy and I were meeting with them and she says to them, she says, uh, hey, tell me what is, what is it about Two Lakes? When you guys get together on Sunday morning, what's the climate? What's the culture? What makes you different than any other church? What is special about you guys? And, and without any hesitation, this one guy just says, prayer time. And everybody else just kind of shake their head and they, and they all started commenting, it's, it's the prayer time. And so Judy says, tell me what it is about the prayer time. And they said, oh, you know, when we get to that time of the service, we don't rush it. We take all of the time we need. We pray for people. People share prayer requests. We pray over each other. We take time to just praise God and pray. Prayer time is a long time. But even the kids who come to the church, their favorite part is the prayer time. So I'm not really concerned about offending anybody here this morning, okay? That's not my concern. My greater concern is that I want to be helpful to you, okay? And so just... Just lean in for a minute, and I'm going to say something that's pretty straightforward, okay? If in your life, 
your every day walking around, eating, drinking life. If you don't find yourself acknowledging and being aware of God's presence, if you don't find yourself giving thanks to God, if you don't find yourself calling out to God, then your life is not what it could be. Okay? So, so let me say it again. I want you to hear me really clearly. Because in your everyday life, you're eating, drinking, walking around life. If you, if you don't dis- describe yourself this way or define your life this way, then here's what my life is like, Rick. I'm always aware of God in my life. And I'm always, I'm always aware that God is with me, His presence. And, and, I, and I give God thanks and, and I find myself praying and calling out to God. If that's not what your life is like, then I just want to be really frank with you and say that your life could be so much more. Something is wrong in life. Because you didn't just poof, arrive here one day. You actually have a creator. God created you. God made you. And God placed you here, Okay. The Lord God forms man from the dust of the ground and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life and man becomes this living soul. You have a creator and God created you to live in fellowship with him. And if you're not living in that kind of fellowship with him, then life is not beginning to be what it actually could be for you. And so there's this story of this guy in the Bible And this guy in the Bible, his name is Abraham. We've been talking about him for weeks now. And Abraham lived his life this way. He was very aware that there was a God. And he acknowledged God all the time. And he was aware that God was with him, his presence. And he spent a lot of time giving thanks to God. And he spent a lot of time calling out to God. And so I want you to go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 12. And I want to read a few verses to you, okay? Um, There are days when I feel like I think I really have something to say to the people who attend the second service. Because I don't know if you realize how different the two services are, but they are very different. This is one of those days where I feel like I have something to say specifically to you. And, and maybe that's more because of your age. I don't know. But I'm really excited to share these words. So here's what's going on. God has decided that because of sin, He is going to start this new nation. And through this new nation, God is going to speak to the whole world. All right, And he's going to offer people forgiveness of sins, the whole world, because of this nation. And he starts with this guy named Abraham who is 75 years old and his wife doesn't have any kids yet. But when he is 100, 100, and she is 90, she has a little baby boy. His name is Isaac. She's 90 years old and she gives birth to a baby. And God's going to build this nation through him. Okay, And throughout Abraham's life, there were many thin places, meaning God appeared to him. God spoke to him. God revealed his will to him. God made himself known. Is that how God has been in your life? Does God keep showing up? Does he keep talking to you? Is God incarnational? Does God reveal to you his plan for your life? Does God speak into your ear? Do you find yourself feeling the presence of God? Is that what God is like in your life? So here's what happens, okay? We're in chapter 12, verse 6. 
And he has been given this promise. Now leave your land, your father's household, your country, go to the land that I'm going to show you. Okay? And so he leaves. He's obedient. He lives in a tent like a homeless person. He just kind of travels as God tells him to go. And so Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. And at the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Here's the good news. I'm going to give you some land. Here's the bad news. Some other people have already claimed the land. All right? So God kind of reassures him. You ready? So the Lord appeared to Abram because that's what God does. God breaks through and he comes into our lives and he speaks to us. To your offspring, I will give this land. Now, we're going to do this four times, okay? Just warning you, it's coming four times. I'm going to ask you to read out loud with me. So here we go. Read these next words with me. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So from there, he went toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent because he lived in a tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, I'm going to ask you to read again with me. You ready? Everybody. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Sounds very familiar to the words we read a moment ago. And so then it gets kind of weird and he goes to Egypt because there's a drought. Should he have really been Egypt anyway? And then he is not honest about who his wife Sarah is. And he really kind of lets himself down. He lets God down. And he turns around and he comes back from Egypt. And he comes to this place where this altar is that he prayed before. So here's the way that works. So Abram went from Egypt to the Negev, which means the desert, with his wife and everything that he had. And Lot went with him. And Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. And from the Negev he went to the place to place until he came to Bethel to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier. And, you ready to read with me? Where he had built an altar. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. One more story. He's got all this livestock and he's become wealthy. And he has a nephew, Lot. And they're like feeling crowded and some of Lot's herdsmen are arguing with, arguing with Abram's herdsmen and saying, you know, we're kind of on top of each other here. And so finally Abraham says, why don't we just do this? Why don't you just go one direction and I'll go the other? Why live on top of each other? He actually says it this way. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And so Lot decides that he is going to go where the plain of Jordan is. It's got water. It's fertile. It's beautiful. Abram, you can just stay up here in the hill country in Canaan. And so Abram says, okay, if you want all of that land, you can have it. I'll just, I'll just be up here. So here's how the story unfolds. So the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and the south and the east and the west. All the land that you see, I'm going to give you and your offspring. Now listen to this illustration. It's kind of interesting. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. That's a lot of kids he's talking about here, right? So go walk through the length and breadth of the land that I'm giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great tree of Mamre at Hebron where he pitched his tents. Would you read with me one last time? There he built an altar to the Lord. So I'm going to show off my education just for a minute, okay? Do you mind?
But here's what I, here's what I see. A pattern. <laughs> see how smart I am? I mean, it just comes to me. It's just natural like that. I, I'm just brilliant, I think, sometimes. But I recognize that four times he just builds this altar. And he calls on the name of the Lord. So let me think with you for a minute. What about a person who says, I believe in God. But most days of my life, I live as if God does not exist. So what about a person who says, okay, I, I believe in God. But most days of my life, I live as if he does not exist. In other words, I don't, I don't acknowledge him. I'm not like thinking to myself, God is with me. I don't, I don't give him thanks like for all the stuff he's given me. I don't, I don't pray. I don't call out to him. I mean, I mean, if you pressed me and said, do you really believe that God exists? I would say, well, yeah, I believe that God exists. But most days of my life, I don't, I don't acknowledge that there's a God. I don't really, I'm not aware that God is like walking with me or helping me. I don't ever think like that. And, and, and I don't really thank him. I mean, at Thanksgiving, maybe I thank him when everybody else is doing that and talking about it. And, and I certainly don't like pray. Okay. I do pray if, if life gets really bad, then I pray. But then I feel guilty because I haven't prayed up until the point that life got really bad. So what about the person who says, okay, Rick, I'll tell you what. I, I believe in God, but I live most of my life as if he isn't there. See, sometimes I think the best thing you and I can do is find a quiet place and pray. I mean, sometimes I think the very best thing you can do and I can do is just find this quiet place and just talk to God. So important. So, as we think like this, that that if we're not acknowledging God, if we're not aware of His presence, if we're not, you know, thanking Him, if we're not calling out to Him, then, then life, life is nothing close to what it could be. And the reason I think that it's important to talk about it is because that it is easy to say, I believe in God, but to kind of live my daily life as if He really isn't around. When you, when you get to this end of Abraham's life, and people write about him, do you know what they say about him? They say Abraham was a friend of God. Wow. So what if, what if like when you died, everybody who loved you and knew you really well would say, hmm, that person was a friend of God. I mean, they had this relationship with God. It was, it was crazy good. It was like they, uh, 
they always acknowledged God. They, they, they were aware that God was always with them. It was like, it was like they lived life with God, like kind of walking beside them. They were always thanking God. They were always calling out to God. It was just like, if I had to tell you who their closest friend was, I think I would say it was probably God. So what do you do with this today? I, I remember when I was in seminary years ago, um, we had this professor, really nice guy, and one time he invited us over to his house for dinner. My wife and I, and these two other couples, and so they lived in this very humble home, not a large home at all, but before we ate dinner, uh, they said, would you like to see our house? And we said, yeah, we'd love to see your house. And so they said, well, come on, let's go see the house. And so we go to see their house, and uh, just walk in, oh, the living room, kitchen, bathroom, here's bedroom. Okay, uh, we go into this little room, and he says, this is my office have an office at the seminary but this is my office at home and we're kind of yeah nice you know and then he just kind of waves his hand over this way and he says uh, that's where I pray and there was this little kneeling bench there and and I don't mind telling you that uh, as a seminary student I was I was really impressed. I thought he was a really good guy. And and I felt like he was one of those profs who really cared about you. And I felt like he was a guy that really tried hard to follow Jesus. But when he just said, you know, and, and that's where I pray. And there was this little kneeling bench, this little altar there. I, I walked away that night from his house and he'd kind of gone up a notch in my book. So I grew up with three siblings, dad and mom. There were six of us living in this house. I was the youngest. And, and there was always a chair in my house that we called my mom's chair. Now, over the years, the chair changed. They would come in, haul the chair out, put a new chair in. You know what I mean? But it was always, there was always an obvious chair that was my mom's. It wasn't like that she had ownership. Anybody could sit in the chair, even if my mom was in the room. She didn't mind you sitting in the chair. But in our minds, that was always my mom's chair. And the reason it was always my mom's chair was because there was always, and no matter what house we lived in, it was like this. There was this little, like, bookcase kind of thing, kind of small that you could just put books in. And always in that little case was my mom's Bible and there was my mom's devotional books and, and like Christian books she was reading and like Sunday school lesson plans because she always taught Sunday school. And so there was always by this chair, this little book thing, rack case, and it always had all my mom's stuff. And in the morning when my mom got up and she always got up very early, five o'clock, five thirty, and she was working all of those years but she would get up earlier than she had to get up and she would read her bible and she would read her devotional books and she would study for her sunday school lesson that she would be teaching on sunday and then after my mom did all of that she would get up out of the chair and she would kneel down beside the chair and and my mom would pray right there when I was a little boy growing up, I can't tell you how many times I would wake up to the sound of my mother praying. And so, like my seminary professor who had that little altar in his office, this, this was my mom's altar. She acknowledged God. She would linger in his presence. She would thank him. 
and she would call out to him. No matter what was going on in any season of her life or that professor's life, they had an altar. And that's where they acknowledged God and lingered in his presence and thanked him and called on his name. Now, there's two things happening here. One is this idea of calling on the name of the Lord that we read over and over again. And so I don't really get this, honestly. I know I'm a pastor and you're thinking you should know all about the Bible, but, you know, I'm learning as you are. But this is kind of a, it's kind of a puzzle for me to try to figure out because in chapter 4 of Genesis, so this first book in the Bible, right? So early on chapter 4, you get this kind of, it feels like a random just here is Adam and Eve's family tree. And you're kind of going, okay, so now we know who everybody's kids are. And then at the end of that, it feels very random. Chapter 4, verse 26, it just says this. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. What are you telling me? Nobody prayed before that? Nobody knew that you could talk to God? Maybe not. I don't know. But, but that's what it says. Chapter 4, verse 26. There's no mention of anybody praying until that point. But at that point, it just says, at that time, chapter 4, verse 26, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So do you remember the first time somebody said to you, you know, you can talk to God if you want to. I mean, like, that's a possibility. You could actually talk to God if you choose to. He'll hear you if you want to talk to him. The other thing that's going on is this building of an altar. So in the Bible, you built altars, and altars had great significance. And sometimes they were places where I expressed my devotion to God or my obedience to God or my love to God or my surrender to God. And sometimes they were places where they were sacrificially made. In other words, you would offer an animal sacrifice on this altar, okay? And it was for the remission, the atonement of sins. And so maybe a priest would offer this animal on the altar. I'm talking about, you know, killing an animal, blood on the altar, fire on the altar, cook. The smoke arises. God smells the aroma. And then everybody's sin in the community is covered. And we're going to pause right there because next week we're going to talk about the sacrifice idea, okay? Sometimes, though, altars were just these places of memorial where a person would keep going back and back and back and back again and again and again and again, and that's where they talked with God, okay? But I think it's interesting when we look at Abram and his building the altars and what he did with these altars and the context of why he did and what he did when he got there. So in the first two, here's what's going on. His life just got turned upside down. He lives with his family like many of you do. You live around your family. And God says, okay, you're going to leave. Your family, your land, your country, and you're going to go to the place that I will show you. And so they just loaded up and left. How many of you raising your hands really high would say, yes, I know what that's like. There was a time in my life when I loaded a truck and I just moved across the country. I just moved somewhere else. So lots of hands. So you know what that feels like. We've done it a few times. My kids are like, what's it going to be like when we get there? And I'm like, I don't know. Are we going to like it? I hope so. Are we going to make friends? We sure pray that we do. And his life was like that. He had just left and moved. 
And he gets to this new land. The only problem is somebody else is already there. And God tries to say, well, one day it's going to be yours, though. And you know what Abraham does? He builds an altar. And he says, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for God. And so I'm going to give him thanks, even though my life feels upside down. And I'm going to praise him for what we have today. And we're going to call on the name of the Lord now. The second time, it's the same situation. The third time, though, it was very different. There was this famine in the land, and he goes to Egypt. Should he have gone? Everybody argues about that. Was he out of God's will? I don't know. When he gets there, he is not honest about who his wife is, and he basically gets kicked out of Egypt. It's a bad chapter in the Bible. It's a bad chapter in his life. If he could delete it, he could. It's like, I've let God down. I've let my family down. I've let myself down. I shouldn't have done this. And he comes back to that altar. And he says, boy, God, I blew it. Made a mess. Feel really bad. And he prays. The third time, it's when he says to Lot, you go where you want, I'll take whatever's left. And Lot takes the plain of Jordan, the fertile valley, the great land, the lush you can step here in these rocks. And it's one of those times when it seems like everybody else's life is going really well, but not mine. But he builds an altar. And he says, God, but at least you've given me these hills. You know, I can thank you for these. Side note. Just like my mom and just like my seminary professor and just like Abraham, as as we follow Jesus, we build these altars and we find places to pray and we live our lives aware that God is with us, thanking Him and calling on Him. And you know what happens a few chapters later? His son Isaac, guess what he does? He builds an altar and he calls on the name of the Lord. And a few chapters later, guess what happens? Isaac's son, Jacob. You know what he does? The Word of God says he builds an altar and he calls on the name of the Lord. And and here's what I pray for. That as my kids and my little granddaughter, Sadie, see me building altars and calling on the name of the Lord, that my kids will build altars and that Sadie will one day build an altar and Sadie Kay will call on the name of the Lord. So just to moms and dads, kids follow us. They watch us. What an opportunity we have to point them on the right path. Okay, I'm winding down. No amens at all on that. I thought somebody would say like, amen. Years ago, I was a college student and a guy named Don Dunnington, who's part of our congregation, was the chaplain of that school and he was trying his best to help disciple and mentor me. And I was studying a book with him and some other students called Celebration of Discipline by a guy named Richard Foster. And 
I can still quote these words, and I'm assuming when I'm 90, I'll still quote these words. He said, perhaps somewhere in the subterranean chambers of your hearts, you have sensed a call to deeper, fuller living. And oftentimes you have caught glimpses or hints of something more than you have known. And inwardly, you have longed to launch out into the deep with God. So we're in this series called Them Places. And we talk about these places in our lives where the distance between heaven and earth seems to vanish. These moments that we have, these experiences. The distance that we sometimes feel from God seems to vanish. And we find ourselves in the presence of God. God speaks to us. God breaks through. God talks to us. A thin place. It's like... The secular and the mundane is all of a sudden united with what is holy. And, and the veil that seems to separate this world from the next becomes so sheer that you can almost look through or it is lifted and you feel like that you can see and feel and experience the next world. It's like you catch a glimpse of divine, you catch a glimpse of God in all of His glory. And the Celtic Christians who came up with the idea believed there were actual places on a map that you could go to, a shoreline or a mountaintop, and if you went there, you would experience the presence of God more readily. And you could, I guess, go looking for a thin place. But I think most often thin places find you because that's who God is. He comes to where you are. He speaks to you. He makes himself known to you. And so the words of Thomas Merton, I shared with you the first Sunday we started this series, who said God is everywhere and he is shining through everywhere. The problem is we just don't see him because we're too distracted. And so I think what I want to say to you this morning is simply this. What if, what if, dream with me a little, what if? What if you weren't as distracted? And what if you stopped on occasion? What if every day you just paused? And you acknowledged God and you called out to Him and you thanked Him? And you spent time with him and you built an altar. Would your world become a little more thin? Would you hear God's voice a little more often? Would he feel more like a friend to you?
had a friend a few years ago. His name was Bobby. He was a priest in the Catholic Church. Bob would say to me, I don't get it, Rick. I don't know why people just don't pray. Life would be so much better, Bob said, if people would just pray. Do you agree? Okay. So why don't you stand with me, okay? So we haven't done this for a long time, and today we're going to do this, okay? In a moment, we're going to sing. Alex and the guys are getting ready to do that. Gals for us now. And so let's just kind of uh, think in a very broad sense, okay? Best way to end this day, and we've got some time here, I think it's just to pray, okay? Maybe the best thing you can do today is just find a place to pray. And so whether it's coming and kneeling at the altar or at one of the front seats, or maybe you're going to say, I'm just going to go back in the corner of the room, or I'm going to huddle up with my family right here. We're just going to put our arms around each other, and we're going to pray. Or we're going to come down as a family. I'm going to grab the hand of a friend, and I'm going to go down with my friend, and we're going to pray. And so whether it's you're going through a tough time, or maybe like Abram, you're saying, you know what? My life feels upside down, but you know what? God is with me, and I'm just going to tell him thanks. Maybe you've let God down like Abram did, and maybe you feel like you've let yourself down. So I'm just going to pray. I'm going to build an altar just like he did when he let himself down. Or maybe it looks like everybody else's life is going great, and mine is not going so great. What did Abram do? He built an altar, and he prayed. Maybe you just feel like you need to say thanks to God. Maybe you want to pray for healing. There will be some pastors down here who will pray with you. Maybe this morning you've been hanging around for a while and you've been debating becoming a follower of Jesus. And you're like, Rick, if I need anything in my life right now, it is for Jesus to change me, transform my life. I need to be born again. I need a radical Transformation That can happen here this morning too. So while we sing this great song, love this song, just let the word speak to you. And if you want to come here to pray, just, just come. It's not like, um, no, it's like really you should come. If you want to pray where you are, pray where you are. But just before you leave this place today, find an altar. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.